There he was. Right after our worship service, I walked into the church lobby and Kyle Valkmer was doing something I never thought he would do. He gave into the temptation of sinning. It's true. I saw it with my own eyes. He put on a Las Vegas Raiders sweatshirt and pledged his allegiance to be a Raider fan. He joined Raider Nation. It's official, y'all. I tried to go to him privately and say, Kyle, you're an heir. You do not know the scriptures. You were born and raised in Texas. You've got Texans or you've got the Cowboys. Why are you choosing poorly? And uh, I, I tried to bring some other pastors. Austin, we came alongside. He didn't listen. Pray for our brother. He's on that wide road that leads to destruction. And he has not come to the light yet. <laughs> now, I say this in fun, but this is what happens when we can major on minor issues. We start to get in trouble, right? Unity happens when we major on the majors and minor on the minors. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. Every week you can find an opportunity for your expectations not to be met, to get hurt, offended, struggle with something. You can find all kinds of reasons when things don't go your way, right? Inside the church and outside the church. Style of the music, a preference of lights too bright, lights not bright enough, air's too cold, air's not warm enough, the sound's too loud, sound's not loud enough. We can go on and on. And that's just inside the church. I'm going to ask you a question. And for some of you, the answer to this question isn't going to be relevant to this topic because you may be new to the Lord. GFC may be your only church home. But for others, this isn't your only church home. You've had many homes. So I want to ask this question. In the last 10 years, how many churches have you been a part of? Some of you, one or two. You're kind of saying that with like, that's right, one or two. Others, I'm not going to ask anybody to show hands to go further than that. But we have a lot of people in our church that go from church to church. It's called church hopping, church shopping. And it happens. And it happens because more often than not, something doesn't go their way. And they break fellowship. And when they break fellowship, they're saying those things were at the center of their fellowship. If Jesus is at the center of the fellowship, then the minor issues shouldn't cause us to break fellowship with each other. Right. Stephanie and I, when we first got married, we were part of a church family. And I remember we went in during the week and there was a private, a secret meeting with some church pastors and church members. And they were there to vote people out of the church, leaders and other people. And we were so, like, we'd only been part of that church family for under a year. And we, were, we struggled with it so much that we left that church family. And questioned whether or not we should even be in ministry if that's what church looked like. So there are times where if you move to a new community, then changing churches happens, right? It, churches you, should change when they stop teaching good doctrine from the Bible, and there are times where abuse happens. Those are rare. But to stay, even though you forgive, would be more unhealthy for your family or toxic for you. And so if you've made all efforts to reconcile and it still doesn't happen, then, then I can understand. But I'm going to encourage us to lean towards unity. 
to lean towards being committed because it mattered to God. And if unity mattered to God, it should matter to us. I'm so excited that you're here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 133 as we start a brand new series called United as One. Look over to a friend and say, we need to be united. If we have any kind of shot of fulfilling the great commission to go and make disciples, it'll be because we are united. The enemy wants us to fight. God wants us to unite. If our home is ever going to be sweet, it's going to be because we get this right. We haven't always gotten it right. And the good news is this sermon, this series isn't reactionary. It's not in response because people are gossiping and, and we don't have a lot of church health or unity. The reality is in the last four years, and I've been around for 15 of them, the last four years have been relatively calm as far as peace and unity. And we celebrated a lot of things last Sunday on Vision Sunday. And if we aren't careful, we could let our guard down. And so the things that we're going to discover from God's word that we will apply to your relationships and to our church family, to our small groups, to your marriages, it will make you more healthy and strong relationally. We will be stronger and more united as a church if we are more than just hearers of the word, but we are doers of the word. Amen? So unity matters to God. It says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When God creates things, things that he really likes, he says that it is good. And it is his will. It is the path that he desires for brothers and sisters in Christ to dwell together in unity. If you look at the last verse of this short psalm, it says that God commands his blessings on those who are unified. How many of you want the blessings of God? You want God to, to give his blessing and favor. Well, make unity a priority. In your marriage, if you want God's blessing, be unified. In your small group, be unified. In our church family, if we are unified, we will experience more of God's blessing and favor on our church family as a result. So unity matters to God. Unity matters to Jesus. He prayed for unity. In John chapter 17, if you want to turn there, the entire chapter is a prayer, beautiful prayer. And he prayed, he prayed for unity. He said in verse 20 of John 17, I do not pray for these alone. He's referring to his followers in that present time, which is our past, for his apostles. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. How many of you, through your word, believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, the only way to salvation? Raise your hand. Say amen. amen. Jesus prayed for you. Isn't it amazing? And so how did he pray? What was his request? Verse 21, that they all may be, how many? One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? Why did he pray for unity? Why did he pray that we would be unified, united as one? That the world may believe that you sent me. Did you know how we get along will be a factor of whether we draw people to the presence of God or push people further away from God? If people come and they see us and they, they see us and our love for God and our love for each other is strong, they're going to say, I want that. That's not in the world. We live in a very divided world. Let's be honest. In the last few years, right, from 
racial issues, political issues, medical issues. Over and over we've seen so much division. And we're in a culture that says if you believe or speak differently than I am, then, you, then you're my enemy. We live in a divided world. And what the divided world needs more than anything else is a united church. We are going to get this if we major on the majors and minor on the minors. And so there's major issues and there's minor issues. I want to share with you the four C's of fellowship because they are very important for us to be unified as a church. The four C's, some of you know them. The first one is commitment. We must be committed to each other. If you are married, you might remember your, I'm sure you remember your wedding day and you made vows to each other. You entered into this covenant. You said for rich or for poor, for sickness or in health, good times, bad times, you're like, I'm committed to you. I'm, I, we're going to make this work, right? What if we applied this same type of commitment to our church family? Like when, when one of us lets each other down, we're going to say we're committed. We're committed to each other. We're going to get through the hard times. We're not going to just stay committed during the easy times, but when things get tough, we're going to be committed. So the first C of of good fellowship is being committed. The second C is common unselfishness. Love chooses the highest good of others and the Lord. And so we're not going to be selfish in how we, we want to be treated or how we want to be loved, but rather we're going to demonstrate that generous, unselfish love to others and say, what's in their best interest? How can I treat them the way I want to be treated? And then the next C is a common understanding. We need to agree about the major, major issues, right? Amos said this in chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? It's important that we agree on major issues. One of the major issues we just talked about that, there's only one way of salvation, that's through Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross is the only thing that can save us from our sins when we believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, confess and repent of our sin, turn to God, we can be saved. If you believe that to be a major issue, say amen. amen. Jesus, he's the only way, the truth, and the life. Some would say in the world that there are other ways of salvation, but Jesus is the way. In the world... Paul writes to the church in Rome. He said, the world, you're going to be tempted to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't allow what's happening in the world dictate what is true. Here's another major one. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It's inherent. It's God-breathed. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Let's, let's be in agreement that the Bible will define what sin is and what sin isn't. We are in a world that has strong opinions about the sanctity of life, about identity, sexual sin. And it doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what social media says, our culture says, your friends say, your, what your parents say. And respectfully, what your personal opinion is. If it's contrary to the word of God, this is the standard. Amen. Let's let the, God, let the Bible define what sin is and what sin isn't. And hold true to that. That will be a major in our church family here at GFC. But there are minor issues. There's a lot of minor issues and how some things in the Bible are interpreted. And these are minor issues. Some of you have a strong opinion about which translation of the Bible you should read and study. Some are in the NIV camp. 
Some are in the New King James camp. But the people who are in the NIV camp, the New King James version people are not your enemy, okay? (laughs) They just have a different preference. Can we respectfully allow people to make their own decision of what what kind of translation they're going to read? doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they're ungodly, right? That's just one minor issue. Another minor issue is whether women should teach or be in any kind of leadership. Another minor issue is in regards to alcohol, abstinence or in moderation. Some people, some of you grew up in a faith tradition that were your Arminians. Others are Calvinist. And you have maybe a strong view or you were raised in a certain way. Some of you who are Reformed theologians are asking, are you sure you should go there, John? (laughs) To which I would respond, it was predetermined that I would. (laughs) But in all these areas and all these uh, topics, these, these minor topics, and I'm not saying they're not important. There's lots of them. Is tongues the physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Or is it a combination with prophecy and being a bold witness? In every single one of these issues I've shared, we have people both on staff and small group leaders in our church that would lean in both directions. But we don't need to look at each other and say, you're wrong, I'm right, and have a know-it-all approach. We should have humility, we should have love, and go, you know what, how can I learn from your perspective? But regardless, if we break fellowship with any of these minor issues, we're saying this was the center of our fellowship. And if that's the center, then Jesus isn't. And so let there be room for us to have conversations. Listen, the more I've been growing in Christ, the more I know I don't know. But I'm hungry to learn. And I'm only going to do it with a humble spirit And we're going to learn when we search scripture first and then in loving conversations, truly listen to each other and and be in fellowship and choose that we can major on the majors and minor on the minors. Amen? That's how we'll have common understanding. Now, the fourth C is the one I want to spend the most time because this in our church's history and then the church in the Bible, this is the C where they've missed the mark the most. Constant Forgiveness, constant forgiveness. Now, I want to give you four steps to deal with church hurt. These four steps you can apply to any friendship, any relationship. The moment conflict happens, and by the way, conflict, don't take it personal, conflict happens in any relationship. There's no perfect marriage. It's just, it's not a matter of if, it's when conflict happens. You're going to have conflict in your friendship. You're going to have conflict in your small group. And there will be conflict in our church. Someone will miss your expectation. I will let you down. You give me enough time, I will let you down. I promise. But how do we respond to that? Even the, the, the church, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the church was in one accord. But it didn't mean they were perfect. There was conflict. Things happened. Do you remember, like, Just a few verses later, they had a difference in opinion on who was going to be the apostle to replace Judas. They weren't unanimous. When the church began to grow, they were dropping plates. Remember, the widows were not being uh, taken care of. And so there was accusations, there were complaints. 
The apostles had to come together and go, man, we're not doing this right. We're going to have to raise up more deacons and leaders so that we can devote more time to prayer and to the study and the teaching of God's word. And even Paul, he had to confront Peter one time for showing favoritism, right? The church struggled with allowing Gentile believers to come in if they weren't circumcised. Can you imagine today? Like that would be a requirement to be a part of the church is whether you're circumcised or not. But that's what happened. You read through the book of Acts. That was a big deal. Thankfully, they moved that as a major issue to a minor issue. Paul and John Mark were on a missionary journey, but they decided, hey, Paul wasn't confident he could depend on John Mark, so Barnabas took him. So you see there's instances in the book of Acts of the church where conflict happened. Now, most of the time they got it right, but it didn't happen by accident. It was because they were intentional. In almost every single one of the epistles, we read under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Paul said, make every effort. Like mark those who cause division. And we're going to read and look at some of these verses to help us. But the moment you have conflict, the moment you are tempted to have deep hurt, to be offended, you've got a choice. And the first step, the first step to reconciliation, to responding to hurt, the first step is if at all possible, let it go. If at all possible, let it go. Those of you who are newly married, you're going to be tempted to get offended because your spouse is different from you. And then the ways that they are different or in their weaknesses is just kind of how they're wired. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong, but if you try to form and make them and point out their flaws and their weakness and make them just like you, you're going to have a lot of trouble in your marriage. Sometimes you just got to let things go, right? And it's the same thing in our relationships. Every week you're going to find five things, ten things that you don't like about someone, about something, don't get easily offended. That's a mark in the last days. Be someone that has thick skin and a soft heart. One of our values of our staff team is to be unoffendable. Now, we both want to make it be hard to offend, but we also don't want to just be offendable either and make offense with others. So it takes both, being sensitive to others but maybe not so sensitive ourselves. And so this is important for, for unity, that we would just let things go. The Bible says in Proverbs, love covers a multitude of sin. So why don't we believe the best in each other? Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Even when something is said or done, can we trust, hey, maybe that wasn't the motive of the heart. That was just how I interpreted it. That's how it came across. And just let it go. But if you can't let it go, all right. If it's just something that you start replaying in your mind, you lay your head on your pillow at night, and you just don't have a good conscience, it's just really, you start to develop a bad attitude towards that person. You don't want to look at them. You want to you keep them at a distance, right? Those temptations are real. That's proof that you're choosing to be offended. You're choosing to struggle. At that point, you've got to go to step number two, and that is to confront. Not in a mean way to prove that you're right, they're wrong. In fact, we're going to resolve conflict biblically. Jesus gives us very clear instructions on how to do this in Matthew chapter 18. He says, the moment you choose to be offended, 
you go to your brother or sister directly. And so you do it in a, in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of love. Like Winky Prattney says, don't confront someone that you haven't wept over. Have a, a, a broken heart over the, the conflict that's happened and approach it from like, hey, maybe I was part of the problem. And lead with that. But hey, things aren't right. This was said. This was done. And, and my hope is that Jesus said that the goal is to gain your brother, to gain your sister. That's the goal, to not lose a heart, that it's worth the hard, maybe even awkward conversation to go directly and privately. The Bible does not say keep it inside, bottled up. He doesn't say to disguise it as a prayer request to other people, right? Like you'll never believe we need to pray for this person. You'll never believe what they did, but we need to pray. That's gossip, right? We don't need to air it out and blast somebody on social media. Jesus is very clear. He says to go directly and privately one-on-one to that person and talk it out. And if you can't get a resolution, he says to bring someone else, not your best friend, not your spouse, someone who's neutral that you both trust and love and talk it out. And if he can't get worked out with you three, the next step is to talk it out with maybe five, six other people, people in your small group. And say, hey, unity matters so much that we're going to have this hard conversation. We need to come together and pray and talk this through so we don't lose hearts, so we can forgive. That is the goal. Now, we don't just all together go into trust mode. That takes time and consistency. But there's a difference between trusting and forgiving. And forgiving is the third step. It is necessary. It's not dependent upon an apology. It's not dependent upon the offense. Some of you, you're never going to get an apology because the person who hurt you has maybe passed away. But your forgiveness is based on one thing, Christ's forgiveness of you. How many of you are grateful that Christ forgave you of much? And it's with that same love and grace and mercy that you extend that forgiveness to others. In Ephesians 4, 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. For some of you here, the one person that you need to forgive that you struggled far too long is forgiving yourself. Something's happened in your past and there's so much shame and condemnation that you've allowed the enemy to bring and it's not God's desire. Can I tell you that if God has forgiven you, you are to forgive yourself. You've been much too hard on yourself and you need to forgive. It's necessary to move on because it's affecting you and your relationships with other people. To forgive. To forgive. If you don't forgive, a seed is planted in your heart. And it's a bitter seed. And that seed of bitterness is demonic. Both Hebrews and James talks about it. It's not from above. And that's that selfish ambition, the, the envy, wanting something that you don't have. Could be a relationship, a role. It's like your hurt is there. And if you don't forgive, if you don't let it go, then that hurt is going to cause a cycle that will eventually destroy your life. It will end in destruction. And it's, you'll, you'll find a way to justify it. You'll bottle it up. You won't talk about it. But then it'll be something that will replay. It'll come back and it'll cause bad feelings. It'll cause you to have a bad attitude. It will lead you to isolation. 
you will not have intimacy and close fellowship with other people because of it. It will affect your relationship with Jesus. That's why the Bible says very clearly, Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, my Father won't forgive you. That's how important it is. It's not optional. It's key to your growth in Christ. It's key to your relationships with other people. And if you don't forgive, it's not just affecting you and your relationship. It's affecting our ability to fulfill the Great Commission. We've got to be unified with each other, and so we must forgive. The bitterness cycle will end with you grouping up with other people who gossip, who have hard hearts, and it will eventually affect your physical health. I've seen it happen through the years. People who are bitter eventually start having those hard facial features. It affects them with stress. It's not worth it. God has his best interest at your heart. He he wants you to forgive. And so during our time together, as we pray, as we look at God's word, is there anyone in your life that you have unresolved conflict? As the Holy Spirit would would bring to the surface maybe an offense that you have that you've not let go, that you've not forgiven. Perhaps today is the day that you choose forgiveness. The final step is to remember unity is worth it. When you're tempted not to have the hard conversation, when you're tempted not to forgive, remember it is more than just you at stake. It's what we do as a church family. God has a supernatural purpose in our life that we must fulfill and we must do it in a unified way. So how do we protect it? Well, it's going to be because we all have ownership of our church family. It's not just as a pastor that protects unity or a small group leader. It's each and every single one of you. I want to empower you to protect the unity of the flock. I make the commitment to you that if I struggle with something, if I choose to be offended by something you did or said, I'm going to come to you directly and privately. If someone else comes to you and says, hey, did you hear that John is upset with you, that he said this about you, I want you to consider that a lie. All right? I make this commitment to you, and I'd ask that you make this commitment to me and to everybody else in this room. Let's resolve conflict biblically. Let's forgive constantly and quickly. A mark of a mature believer is how quickly and constantly they forgive. The longer the distance that they forgive is really a sign of immaturity. This is biblical. This is what the Lord has in mind. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. A gossip separates the best of friends. The way the enemy wants to attack our church is through division. And it's seeds of bitterness. It's seeds of hurt. It's through gossip. That's why the Bible says, Mark those who bring division. So do we want to have a culture that feels unsafe because we've let gossip go and we don't forgive? Or are we going to have a culture of honor, love, respect, and unity? We will reap what we sow. It happens with our daily conversations. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Let's make peace. Paul would also write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He said, I appeal to you, 
Or I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. And that there be, watch this, he said, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I looked up this word, division. In the original Greek word, it means schism. And it means split, division, schism, a ripping or tearing apart. So the next moment you have where you choose to be offended, then you want to talk about that to someone else other than your offender. What you are doing is you are literally tearing and ripping apart the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and we are his body. We are his family. And so by our speech and by our actions, we will make an attempt to bring unity or drive people away. And it's going to take all of us. That This is really going to be a sweet home. It's going to be because we all make the decision. Now, some of you, it's been modeled poorly by a parent or a friend or maybe in another church. But can we let the past be the past? Can we move forward and say, I'm going to make every effort to be unified because I believe what God is doing here. I believe that he really wants me to be healthy in my soul and my relationship with others. Amen. I love that our church family is so diverse. When I look into your eyes, when I see the different colors of your skin and know that some of you come from different faith traditions, but we are united here because of what Jesus is doing and we major on the majors and minor on the minors and we come together and we lift up our voices and worship at the Lord and content just to be in his presence. It's like this is what heaven's gonna be like. All tribes, all tongues. And we come together. Why wait for heaven for us to be unified? We have an opportunity when we come together to worship, to be a church that looks like heaven, amen? To be united. So if we're gonna be in heaven together, we need to get along together now. Why wait? So we stand to your feet. Just a sign of commitment and a symbol of what God wants to do on the inside of our hearts and our relationships, will you not just join hands with the person sitting next to you, but maybe the hand of the person you don't know, person across the aisle? Yeah, let's stretch this one out a bit. Those of you in the balcony, you're part of what God is doing here. I love what God is doing in our GFC family. Unity matters, y'all. So let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that, Jesus, you modeled what unity can look like. You prayed for it. And I pray that here in our church family that we would indeed be an answer to your prayers. Help us, Lord, to be unified. To major on the majors and minor on the minors. I pray that our church would be protected against the evil one that would try to attack with his fiery darts to bring division. It is special what you're doing, God, and we don't want to let our guard down. So may this be a shields up moment. Lord, I pray that you would bring to the surface in our hearts and our minds if there's someone that we've chosen to be offended with, whether they be in our church or small group, they may live in a different state, they may be an extended family member, Lord, I pray that you would bring that name or that face to our attention right now. 
Jesus, you're very clear in your teaching that when we come to worship you, we, even before we offer a sacrifice or an offering, if, if, we, if we remember that person that we have an offense with, that we should leave the offering and go directly and privately to that person. By faith, I pray that you would give us enough love, courage, and grace to have those awkward and hard conversations, Lord, to pick up the phone, to have coffee with this week, to talk things out. And Lord, I know that as we forgive each other, that as we make every effort to be unified, that we will experience your blessing. And Lord, I pray for beautiful marriages that they would be unified and may you bring your blessings upon them on every family. I pray that you would turn the hearts of children to their parents and parents to their children. I pray that wherever there might be bad feelings and division in small groups, that there would be healing and restoration. I pray in our church family for your supernatural favor and peace, that we would be unified for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.